Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is David Wood, one of the pastors here. And uh, we are still living in the midst of strange times. <laughs> We've been living for quite a while in these strange times. We thought it would be weeks, then we thought it would be months, and now it's pushing a year. But in honor of strange times, I thought I'd offer you today a strange sermon, a strange Advent sermon. Um, and we're going to be looking at the book of Judges in the Old Testament. I mean, nothing says Merry Christmas, I think, than reading the words over and over again, and the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, which is what it says in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is a time, it takes place in a time where we read, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the book of Judges tells the story of Israel, um, it reminds us that though Israel had this tremendous calling, this calling to be a great nation and through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed, rather than affecting the surrounding nations, they end up being infected by the practices of the surrounding nations. And in the end, as we read this in the book of Judges, they get completely absorbed and they take on all the practices of the surrounding nations and they, there's nothing really distinct about them anymore. And in the passage we're going to be looking at today, things are looking bleak. Uh, they've basically taken in all the practices of their oppressors, the Philistines. In many ways, they've given up. Now, why I think this is important to us today is that many of us are feeling discouraged. Uh, with this second lockdown, people are struggling. And a lot of people who I meet are, are within a hair's breadth of giving up. And if that's where you're at today, then I, I think you, you should listen to what um, God says through his word in the book of Judges. It's a heavy theme, this idea of, of giving up. But one of the themes in the book of Judges is a theme that we need to hold on to because even though there may be times where we want to give up, one of the themes that shows up is this. Though we want to give up, God will never let you go. And so in the spirit of Christmas, we are going to look at the book of Judges, and I hope it speaks into our discouragement today. The passage we're going to look at is found in Judges chapter 13. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Judges chapter 13, and that's what we're going to look at. It's, it's the beginning of the story of Samson. So Judges chapter 13, verse 1 says this, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the land of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man of Zorah in the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and you have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the, from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean for this child. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God 
from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came after me, or who came to me the other day, has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your words come true, what is to be this child's manner of life? What is to be his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that, I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may eat of anything that comes from the. Uh, she may not eat of anything that comes from the vine. Neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All this I commanded her to observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, "Well, please let us detain detain you and prepare a young goat for you." And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, "Well, if you detain me, I'm not going to eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering and offer it to the Lord, for Manoah did not know it was an angel of the Lord." Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it's wonderful? Then Manoah uh, took the young goat with the grain offering and offering, and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the, wife, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their ground, on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord, and Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen the Lord. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or announced these things such as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Mahanadan, between Zorah and Eshtael. Lord, this is your word. This is uh, your sacred word. Speak to us, we pray. Give us ears to hear, and uh, eyes to see, and a heart that understands and grant us courage to respond to what you say to us this morning or this day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in this story, and it is a long story that covers the, the, the story of Samson, of Samson, we read that uh, the Israelites have been given into the hands of the Philistines, uh, the Philistines for 40 years. And that's a long time. 40 years is a long time. 40 years in a foreign culture is a long time and will have a huge effect upon you how you see your world, how you see your life, how you live your life. And after 40 years, we, we, we learn that the Israelites are pretty much completely absorbed into Philistine culture, which I think is a bit of a warning to us in our world today. You know, how distinct um, do we live our lives? Or are our practices and our habits completely in sync with our surrounding culture? I think it's a good question to ask ourselves. Well, Samson is an interesting story. It's a story actually of two parts. You have the birth narrative, which is what I just read, and then the rest of the story is, is about his life. Um, let's look at the birth story just for a moment. At the beginning of chapter 13, 
this, the camera zooms into this, this man and his wife. The man's name is Manoah and his, his spunky, nameless wife. Uh, in many ways, their lives mirror Israel at this time because they're barren, uh, sterile, childless. They don't seem to have a lot of hope. There's not a lot of hope if you don't have kids um, in this culture. And there doesn't seem to be any much of a future for the family. And in the same way, there doesn't seem to be at this stage of the story of Judges much of a future for Israel. But then something happens. And what happens is God shows up. And we can't miss this because this is grace. This is absolute grace. Manoah and his wife are not asking for this. At least we have no indication that they're asking for this. They hadn't done anything to deserve it. It's simply a gift of grace from the Lord. And an angel of the Lord shows up and tells Manoah's wife that she's going to have a baby. And this baby's going to be special. This baby's going to be, is going to be holy. Um, he would be a Nazarite. And Nazarites were holy men. And Samson's mother was told in preparation to this uh, that she is not to drink any wine or any strong drink, which is probably a good thing when you're pregnant, not to drink strong drinks, but, um, or eat anything unclean because what she is going to carry in her womb was going to be sacred. And we're told that uh, this, this child, this baby, was to be an, a, a Nazarite. And, and to be a Nazarite meant to be set apart as belonging to God. Now, how all this plays out is kind of funny, I think, uh, because Manoah and his wife, I mean, in many ways, they kind of reflect a lot of couples. Uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of chatter. They're trying to get their heads around the unexplainable. And what, what strikes me is kind of funny is Manoah, he's always trying to be in charge. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, he's trying to be in charge, but he, he clearly has no idea what he's doing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I relate to that. Um, I always try to be in charge, and most of the time I have no idea what I'm doing. Usually when I'm with a group of people and we're heading somewhere, I often will take the lead, even though I have a horrible sense of direction. Uh, not good, especially I used to be a tour guide, and I used to get my guests lost quite often. But here you got Manoa. He's trying to take charge, but he's struggling. So the, the, this angel speaks to his wife, tells her all these wonderful things, and Manoa prays that this, this man of God would come again. And, uh, and, and that this, this man or whoever he is would come again and tell him what ought to be done. Um, because a typical guy. He says, give me the instructions so, so I can figure out what to do. Well, the angel comes again, but it's funny because he comes again. Uh, but again, Manoah's not there. He comes again to his wife. His wife says, okay, here he is. So she, she goes and she runs and she gets Manoah and... Uh, Manoah, he comes and he, he, he sees a man of God and, uh, and he asks the angel, um, you know, what, you know, how, how should we raise this child? And the angel says, I already told your wife what you're supposed to do. And then, so he's still trying to get on top of things. He's, he's like a guy. He's trying to get on top of things. And, uh, and so he's flustered and confused. And so he blurts out, he says, well, what is your name? What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And I love the angel's response. He goes, why are you asking me my name? It's too wonderful. Like, it's too wonderful for you to even understand. And then, uh, and then finally, they make an offering, and the angel and the offering all go up in fire. And Manoah's like, whoa, this is nothing other than an angel of the Lord. And, and they both fall down because they're in the presence of God. And Manoah says to his wife, he goes, wow, we've been in the presence of God. 
Uh, we're dead. We are so dead. And I love his wife. She's like, really? If, if, if God is going to kill us, why would he give us this promise about me having a baby? Come on. So um, I think one of the things that comes out of just this story is, is a reminder. It's a reminder that a lot of our problems would be solved if husbands would listen to their wives a bit more. That's one of the lessons. But with this as a background story, it's a pretty promising story. Uh, and what a calling. This, this baby uh, named Samson, whose name means like the sun, is uh, going to be born. He's going to be set apart and is, and is being called to save Israel. Right? That's a pretty big calling. So what does it mean to be a Nazarite? Well, again, it means to be set apart for God. But we also know a few other things, and we get this from Numbers chapter 6. Um, one, that a Nazarite is, is not to be like any other man. Okay? Secondly, um, they are to abstain from wine or strong drink. They're not to touch a dead body. That's another one of the requirements. Not to touch a dead body or even go near a dead body. And finally, they're to let their hair grow long and not let any razor cut their hair. And so a Nazarite, if you saw one, uh, they would not look ordinary uh, to, in the world. They, would not, they, they were not to be like any other man. They were gifted by God, set apart by God for God's purposes. And as it turns out, Samson is actually quite uniquely gifted to live out this calling. He's a, he's a man with tremendous charisma. Uh, he has great strength. And we read that the Holy Spirit began to stir on him right from the time he was born. And, it's, and, and other examples of this is uh, um, examples of great strength where he fights a lion and he kills a lion and uh, he gets into these battles with Philistines and he's always outnumbered, but he always comes out on top. And it's clear that if you look at the Samson, that he was not like any other man. He was a man on whom God's spirit and calling rested. And that's what makes his life so tragic. I mean, Samson, he's set apart from birth to save the nation. As you look at his life, you discover one thing really important, and it's this, that Samson has absolutely zero interest in living out this calling. I mean, look, look what he does in his life. I mean, the guy's always drinking wine. He's not supposed to drink any wine, but he's always drinking wine. He's always in a vineyard. There's a time where he scrapes honey from the carcass of a lion, which he had killed in a vineyard, again. He handles the fresh jawbone of a donkey, uh, which he's not supposed to. He wines and dines with the Philistines, and he tries to intermarry with them, again. <laughs> when you're supposed to be set apart, that's not what you're supposed to do. Um, in all of this, Samson struggles with the call to be separate, with the call not to be like any other man which leads us to the key moment in Samson's life. If you have your Bible still open, I hope you do, uh, turn to Judges 16, verse 4, and we read these words. After all this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, if you know the story of Samson, you'll know that Samson, he struggles a lot with lust. Actually, it's not much of a struggle for him. He succumbs to lust quite often. Um, and there's a lot of women that he ends up with, and, uh, but most of it is just him, you know, you know, being lustful. But here, here, in this passage, 
things are different. The woman he meets in chapter 16 is different. The first two women that we come across are objects of his lust and his appetite. Uh, this woman's different. Uh, and we're, we're told her name, actually, and her name is Delilah. And it, we read that he loved her. He doesn't demand anything from her. He doesn't take her. He just brings himself to her. And it looks like Samson, at this stage of his life, he wants to love and be loved. Now, what do we know about this woman, Delilah? Well, most likely she was a Philistine. It doesn't matter to Samson. He's he, lots of Philistine girlfriends so far. Does she love him? Ah, it doesn't seem so. Uh, she loves money. Uh, she's cunning, she's devious, and she seduces Samson to get what she wants. And what she wants is money, because she's paid um, 1,100 um, pieces of silver to discover, she's paid this money by the Philistines, to discover the source of his strength, because Samson keeps winning all these battles. And they want to know this so that they can exact revenge upon him. And so Delilah says to Samson, tell me, wh where does your strength lie? And now this Samson, he loves her, but he's hesitant at this point because he's not sure he wants to tell her this is the biggest of his secrets. And there's a lot at stake if he tells her this secret. And so he stalls and he makes it into a bit of a game. And he keeps giving her false answers, but each answer he gives her gets closer and closer to the truth. And finally, Delilah pulls the card. She's like, well, how can you say if you love me if you don't tell me your deepest, darkest secrets? Only true people that love each other would share their deepest, darkest secrets. Will you please tell me, please, please, please? And finally, Samson gives in. We read, and when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all of his heart, and he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and like any other man. Now this time Delilah, she knows he's telling the truth. And so she lulls him to sleep, gets his hair cut, and then she calls the Philistines in to grab him. Now why does Samson tell her the truth? Well, I think... One, he loves her, and two, she wore him down. But there's a third reason, I think. And the third reason goes back to how he lived his whole life, that he was never happy with the calling that God had placed on his life. And deep down, rather than living the Nazarite life where he would not be like any other man, his desire was to be like any other man. And you see that even in the text. I shall become weak like any other man. Now you have to get this because Samson, it's not like his hair is a superpower or anything like that, but his hair was the one part of the Nazarite vow that he had held on to. And to be a Nazarite was to be set apart for God. And But, Delilah, but he tells Delilah all of his heart because he's done with it. He is done. He wanted out. And when he does this, what happens? Well, he gets his heart's desire, but he also gets the opposite of his heart's desire. He becomes weak, just like any other man. That's what the text says in verse 19. And in a way, his body was just catching up to the state of his heart. Because we read, it says, 
that the Lord had left him, but Samson wasn't even aware of it. He had checked out a long time ago. Samson had. And so the Philistines, they grab him, they gouge out of his eyes, they bind him, they haul him off to Gaza. And when he's imprisoned, he's humiliated, he's degraded. You can read the story. But only then, only then, when he's at his lowest, does he begin to do what his calling was all about. And we read that he pulls down the temple of Dagon, the god of the Philistines, and begins a deliverance of Israel. Now, how did all this happen? Well, the clue is found in chapter 16, verse 22. But the hair of his head, it says, began to grow again. And, and, and what it reminds us is that Samson, he may have wanted out. Samson may have wanted to give up. But God does not abandon his purposes. And God continues to carry out his purposes through Samson, right at the, even at the very end. Now, the question that might be on your mind in all this is why are we looking at this story at Advent? Well, I think Samson's story mirrors another really important story. But it differs in one crucial way. I mean, listen to, the, listen to Samson's story. What do we have? We have a birth announcement that's given to unlikely people. A mother with very strong character and faith who plays a prominent role in the, in the story. Uh, a mother who seems to understand a lot more than her husband. Even before his birth, there's a special calling upon God, or a special calling from God on this person. He is to be holy. He is to be set apart for God right from the womb. His, his birth is announced by an angel. He is declared to be the savior of God's people. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. In the end, he's rejected by his own people. In the end, he is tortured and made a spectacle by his enemies. He is arrested and handed over to his enemy. His calling is consummated by his death. And in dying, he destroys the power of the enemy and saves his people. Do you hear the echo? Samson's story points to the Christmas story. In the book of Luke, we read about another angel making another pronouncement. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign in the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I mean, there's so many parallels, I think, between Jesus's life and Samson's life, but there's a really important difference. Samson spends his entire life trying to shake off his calling. The man whose name means like the sun, he wants nothing to do with walking in the light. His story, in many ways, is Israel's story. Rather than living at the call to be a great nation through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed, they reject this call. They reject the author of the call. And the growing question as you make your way through the Old Testament is this, who is going to fulfill Yahweh's purpose for the world? And that question is answered on Christmas Day. The advent, the coming of Jesus Christ, who is God's own son, is the greatest event in human history. Unlike Samson, Jesus, the true Israel, 
He embraces his calling and his mission through his life, death, and resurrection. And he rescues the world. Unlike Samson, Jesus trusts in the one who called him. His calling, though it led to the cross, is not seen as a weight, not seen as a burden, because Jesus knows that the one who called him is loving and can be trusted. And one last thing, one last thing. On a spiritual level this Christmas season, I think Samson's life is a warning to you and to me. Especially during this COVID-19 time. And you know what the warning is? The warning is not to give up. Not to check out. Uh, you know, over the years I've, I've met a number of Christ followers who at some point in their life decided that this is just too hard, that they wanted out, and so they checked out, and they just stopped going to church, stopped having fellowship with other Christians, and just stopped walking with God. In some ways, they wanted to be like everyone else. The Christian life was too hard. But here's the thing. If God has called you to himself, if God has called you to to carry out his mission to the world, I want to encourage you to embrace it. I mean, honestly, where are you going to go? I like what the disciples said. Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere we can go away from you, God. So I want to encourage you to live your life as an adopted son or daughter of the Most High, forgiven and made new because of Jesus Christ, who thankfully never gave up. Now, many of you today are hanging by a thread. I know that. I've talked to many of you. As we enter Advent, my, my challenge to you, I think not even challenge, the invitation to you and to me is to turn back to the miracle of the Incarnation, to turn back to Jesus. Remember how God became man to rescue us from our sins, to set us free, and my encouragement would be to embrace God's call on your life. Don't give up. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we come to you recognizing that we are utterly dependent upon you. We know that you are good, that you are loving, that you can make even difficult times, you can transform those. You are our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And Lord, we pray as we head into um, Advent, as we remember the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that uh, you would remind us of our first love. Remind us that you first loved us, that you brought us out of darkness into light. And Lord, may we not stumble. May we stick close to the cross. May we follow Jesus all the days of our life. Grant us this courage. Grant us this strength by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks.